Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of After the Final Whistle. I am your host, Brad Clear. It is Monday, April 27th, right on the dot at noon, the NFL Draft, all three days. Sadly over at this point, it was a really enjoyable Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, watching all seven rounds of the draft. This episode here of After the Final Whistle, very simple. We're going to go through every team, and we're going to analyze their draft. Day one, two, and three selection, and do rings, all that, and I'll get grades for every team for this past NFL draft. So, wait, anytime, let's get right into it. We'll go up division, and we'll start off in the AFC East. And the team I'll start with, of course, is Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Two up, obviously, I talked about Osium in my last podcast, many before that, but the guy, he's healthy, top quarterback for the team long term. Uh, I told about the front already last podcast, but. Austin Jackson at 18, again, there's a lot of upside there. He's a pure upside play. Uh, it's going to take some time for Austin Jackson to really ever become uh, the projected starting left tackle that they selected him to be. I would have preferred Josh Jones at that spot. Noah Igbenogany at 30, one of my favorite picks of the first round in the entire draft. Having him in there as a number three nickel corner, slot corner, uh, with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard on the outside, with Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe behind him. Someone who, again, he's young, he's fast, he's agile. He's going to take some time to get to his peak level as well. He's only been playing corner for two years. But I really, really like that selection at 30. You can never have enough corners. Two, obviously, at five. That's the franchise right there. Love that pick. Pick 18, Austin Jackson. You know, that's the only one of the three firsts that I wasn't that crazy about. Uh, Let's move now to the rest of their draft. So... Second round, they went in there at pick 39, Robert Hunt. I liked that pick there. I, I was talking about it on Twitter and as the draft was happening. Uh, when you're a team like the Dolphins, who's really, you know, you're in the initial stage of your team-building process, you don't want to lock yourself into certain prospects at certain positions and disallow your or uh, disallow yourself from being able to select prospects at certain positions moving forward. Robert Hunt can play guard or tackle. For example, if they had picked... You know, they, they picked Austin Jackson at 18. If they had gone with a pure offensive tackle there at 39, if they picked an offensive tackle in a future draft, they would have, in essence, have wasted one of those two picks because you're only playing two tackles at once, obviously. So you need to get a guy who you could say, hey, we can keep our team-building options flexible. We can give ourselves versatility and optionality. So if we draft a tackle in a year and we like what they, we have there, we can move Hunt into guard. If we pick a guard next year who we really like, let's bump Hunt out to the outside and play him at tackle. So I like Robert Hunt a lot. I think that he'll challenge for a spot right away. I don't think Austin Jackson's going to be a starter right away. I think long-term, Hunt's probably best off at right guard. So you have, in these two picks with Jackson and Hunt, you have a guy who's going to play left tackle and a guy who could play either right guard or right tackle. You have Eric Flowers, who presumably would play left guard. And then you would look to occupy your center spot long-term. You still have Michael Dieter. He picked in the third round last year if he ever becomes a solid starting quality player. You have Jesse Davis for two more years. Not that much money. I think he's just kind of a stopgap there. But building out this offensive line now, you have Austin Jackson at one tackle spot, Flowers at a guard spot, and then Hunt at a guard or a tackle spot. And I think the value there is really solid. Keeping that team-building optionality open and selecting someone who is going to be a starter for you long-term on your line, building in the trenches, really solid pick there at 39. Uh, Raekwon Davis at 56. I-, I wasn't crazy about this pick. You know, 56 and 70, they came out of it with Raekwon Davis and Brandon Jones. They could have come out of that with Ashton Davis and Neville Gallimore. 
I think that would have been a much better result. As far as Raekwon Davis, Raekwon Davis is a run stopper. He's not going to be a factor in the pass rush or getting after the quarterback. He's going to be a situational run stopper, a two-down player. So that that is, you know, they did need to add on the interior of their defensive line. I like Christian Wilkins, but they could have used, you know, another addition there. I just think there are better options available. Neville Gallimore, Justin Matabuike immediately come to mind. Not necessarily a bad pick, but I think it was a reach a bit. And I, I think he's a bit of a situational player. And I think there were better players available at the position at that spot. Again, a situational run stopper rather than a guy who can stop the run and get after the quarterback. And then a pick 70, Brandon Jones. I kind of like this pick. I, I think that he would have gone uh, earlier had he not gotten hurt. And I think he is a Brian Flores player. He's going to be a guy who can be versatile in your secondary. You can move him around a good amount. He's a guy who covers a lot of range. He's good in coverage. He makes plays. So I think at pick 70, again, it would have preferred to come out of it with Ashton Davis and Neville Gallimore. But I like that pick at Brandon Jones. Not a lot of people are crazy about it. I think it was a solid pick. I think the injury really allowed them to get value there. And having that versatile piece as a safety in your secondary can move around in lots of different um, spots have lots of versatility there. A smart player with, as well, a tough physical player as well. That's a Brian Flores type player. So I really liked that move there. But if you look at their day two, coming out of it with Davis and Jones, you know it, it wasn't. I think their day two is what probably took their grade in my mind from an A to an A minus. Even though they had a very 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 good draft, just think it could have been a little better. Their day three, however, was really good. Coming out of day three, they traded up. So they had 26. They traded from 26 to 30, picked up a fourth from Green Bay. They then packaged uh, their two fourths to move up earlier in the fourth to 111, selected Solomon Kinley, an offensive guard from Georgia. Kinley is going to be a big mauler who is going to be an effective um, run blocker for a power running offense. Now, I would have preferred Ben Barch at that spot. He went to the Jaguars. But I like Kinley a good amount. And I think that you go into this draft, you grab three offensive tackles. You need to build in the trenches. You need to have a very strong offensive line in front of Tua. If nothing else, you're giving yourself more options of players that could work out and be long-term starters on your offensive line. Like I said, Flowers, Hunt, Jackson. Now you have Solomon Kinley as well. You have Michael Dieter in the mix as well. You have Jesse Davis in the mix as well. So there's lots of options at that offensive line spot across the board. And look, I like the consolidation there moving up earlier in the round. You get a guy that you really like who could be a contributor. You know, I would like to see Kinley be more effective as a pass blocker. But man, if you have a power running offense, Kinley's just going to be a big mauler who just creates space and creates holes up front. So I like that pick as well. Really here where they just absolutely killed it in this draft was the fifth round. They came in there in the fifth round and came out of it having or came out of it with Matt Breida. They traded a fifth to San Francisco for Matt Breida. I like Matt Breida a lot. He has to stay healthy, but when he's been given consistent run and opportunity, he's performed at a high level. And I like the complimentary duo there of Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. They didn't spend a premium resource or pick on a running back. They used five million in cap space and a fifth round pick. I liked Breida as a trade option much more than Leonard Fournette. I really think if he stays healthy, and if you're having him in this duo with him and Howard, I think there's a chance that he can. 
he's shown that he can be an effective, effective running back there. So I like that duo there. I like the use of resources. It was a better running back than they would have gotten with anyone else at that pick. They also go in there in the fifth. Jason Strobridge can play on the interior of the defensive line or off the edge um, out of North Carolina. And then one of my favorite picks of the entire draft, they then trade up to 164 and get Curtis Weaver. Curtis Weaver... Curtis Weaver should have gone in the second round, late second round of this draft. Curtis Weaver, to me, I know he doesn't necessarily pop off the super athletic, but the guy just produces. 34 sacks over the course of his college career. The guy gets after the quarterback. And this is a team who is building their defense around pass coverage, but you still need to have quality off the edge. And they're building just a nice quantity of depth and a good room there as far as edge guys in signing Shaq Lawson and signing Emmanuel Ogba. Now they've added Jason Strobridge, who can bounce inside or outside, uh, can play as a 3-4 defensive end, can play in the interior as well. Curtis Weaver off the edge as well. You're creating a lot of depth at that spot, if nothing else. And to me, the value in Curtis Weaver at 164 is extraordinary. So coming in there in the fifth round and coming out of it with Jason Strobridge, with Curtis Weaver, and with having traded for Matt Breida, that's the best fifth round you could have asked for for this team. And then the 6th and 7th, long snapper Blake Ferguson out of LSU. And Malcolm Perry, quarterback, wide receiver, running back from Navy. Malcolm Perry is a speedster. He's going to be able to really basically be a gadget player. They can do a lot of interesting stuff with him. But we look at the Dolphins overall in the macro. They came out of this draft. They came into this draft with 14 picks. They came out of it having made 11 picks, picked up a 6th round pick next year, and got Matt Breida out of it. They got a franchise quarterback, two potential starters in the offensive line, depth piece on the offensive line, a nickel corner, uh, a depth piece on the interior of the defensive line, a versatile safety, and two guys they can add to their edge rotation. And then also in addition to that, Blake Ferguson is a long snapper and a gadget player, Malcolm Perry. This is an A-minus grade for the Dolphins. I love it when teams not only in the present do a great job at selecting prospects, but also take advantage of the fact that you can pick up a pick around earlier if you were to trade a uh, trade a pick in, let's say, the current draft, they traded a 7th, they got a 6th out of it, you trade the pick for this year, you get one for next year, it's a round earlier. Especially in the 7th round, I'd rather have a 6th than a 7th every day of the week. So I like that they took advantage of that ability to get a round earlier if you trade into next year's draft or the current pick. They took advantage of that. They made good uh, picks in the present. They made good shrewd move-ups and maneuvered around the board in the present. An A-minus draft for the Dolphins. Davis and Jones probably take it down to an A minus, but this was a very, very, very strong draft and one of my favorite drafts. The fish tank, it's off to a very good start. I think there is a lot of optimism to be had with Chris Greer and Brian Flores building out this new Miami Dolphins team. I think they had a stupendous draft. Next, we stay in the AFC East. Let's go to the Buffalo Bills. At pick 54, AJ Epineza, the edge out of Iowa. Pick 86, Zach Moss, running back out of Utah. Gabriel Davis at pick 128, wide receiver out of Central Florida. Jake Fromm, quarterback out of Georgia at 167. Tyler Bass, the kicker out of Georgia Southern at 188. Isaiah Hodgins, wide receiver out of Oregon State at 207. Dane Jackson, corner out of Pittsburgh at 239. Let's start off with those first two picks there. AJ Peneza, you know, I, I wasn't as crazy about him as other people were, but I still recognize that he was a, to me, a solid early to mid-second round prospect. To go in there and get him at pick 54 when you're a team who has an elite level defense, already has 
a ton of talent coming off of the edge, getting after the quarterback, and really at all levels of your defense. Adding a player in Epineza who is going to be an immediate contributor, is going to get after the quarterback, and is going to be a starting level edge rusher, and getting him all the way at 54, adding him to this already fearsome defense or defense that you have, that's great value there, and I thought it was an excellent use of their first pick in this draft. And then Zach Moss at 86. Zach Moss is going to be a great compliment to Devin Singletary. I really like Devin Singletary. Zach Moss is going to occupy the Frank Gore role, but do a way better job and get more run with it. Zach Moss is, you know, he's effective in pass coverage. He's a big, bruising, physical runner. He's beast mode light. And I think him and Singletary is a long-term complementary duo at that running back spot. Great value in Moss at 86. I think Moss has the chance to be a really, really effective running back in this league for a long time. I also kind of like the fact that they went kicker in the sixth round there. You know, looking at their kicker spot, Steven Hauschka, older, only has two more years left. They could cut him if they wanted to and have cap savings uh, before this year or next year. So getting another kicker in the room can't hurt. Overall, you know, nothing really wowed me about Davis, Hodgins, or Jackson's selections. Jake Fromm, I'm not crazy about. I get it as a steady backup. I think he is a career backup, a guy who maybe steps in for a game if a guy's hurt. He's not a starting quarterback in this league. I'm not a fan, but... Just for Epineza and Zach Moss, really strong values there who will contribute immediately. I'll give the Bills a nice B-plus in this draft. Next, we move within the AFC East to the New England Patriots. And man, the New England Patriots, as per usual, they maneuvered all across the board on draft day. And I thought it was really interesting just to look at what their picks initially were in this draft and how... They maneuvered and traded up and traded down and traded all around. Their first round pick, obviously, they got great value there, turning 23 into 37 and 71. Traded out of their original second because that was the Muhammad Sanu trade. Anthony Jennings in the third round. Comp third, they traded. The other comp third, they traded. The original fourth, they traded. Their fifth round pick, they traded. Their sixth round pick, they traded. Their two comp six, they traded. And their seventh, they traded. The only pick that they did not trade from what they originally had going into the draft, was a third-round pick at which they picked Anthony Jennings. They went all over the board here to get their guys. Came out of it with Kyle Duggar, the center from Lenore Ryan, uh, Josh Yuchi, an edge from Michigan, Anthony Jennings, edge outside linebacker from Alabama, Devin Asiasi from UCLA, Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech, Justin Rohrwasser, kicker from Marshall, Michael Nguenu, interior offensive lineman from Michigan, Justin Heron, an offensive tackle from Wake Forest, Cash Mulea, a linebacker from Wyoming, and Dustin Woodward, an interior offensive lineman from Memphis. So the first the first five picks here, Duggar, Uch, Jennings, Asiasi, and Keen, those are so typical Patriots picks. Duggar, there is a safety, a physical safety who is rangy, who is a guy who can uh, be effective coming into the box as a box safety, can be effective as a deep safety, can make plays on the ball, very effective in coverage, um, can get down there and make differences in the run game as well. I think with Duggar, that is a very Patriots-type player, and I was not surprised at all to see him go to the Patriots at 37. We want to talk about Patriots players. Josh Uch at 60. Josh Uch is kind of what their replacement for Kyle Van Noy is going to be. Uch is going to be able to line up as a 3-4 outside linebacker, bring pressure off the edge, 
uh, stand up as an off-ball linebacker, put his hand in the ground coming off the edge. So you have a lot of versatility with Josh Uch. And Anthony Jennings, the same thing. Edge, linebacker, outside linebacker. You, these are guys you can move around a lot, have come off the edge, and you're just building depth on the outside of that defense, pressuring the quarterback. Devin Asiasi, you know, Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, two athletic tight ends with upside. They clearly wanted to address this tight end position. I still personally think they should have got, um, selected Irv Smith in the second round last year from Alabama. He ended up with Minnesota. But looking there, just at that part of the draft, Justin Roywasser, they picked him in the fifth round after cutting Goskowski. They maneuvered across the board. They got guys in there who are Patriots players. I like Duggar, physical safety. He's going to make a difference all across the field. You have these versatile guys and and Josh Huge and Anthony Jennings. Huge to me steps basically right into what Kyle Van Noy's role was. I think the Patriots had a nice solid draft here. I'll give them B. I thought it was very solid getting their guys, getting guys that fit the mold of what they're going for. Versatile, physical players on the defensive side of the ball and athletic tight ends that they can mold and bring in to their offense. Next, let's go to the New York Jets, one of my favorite drafts of any team in the league. First piece of business that I really liked that they did. They came into the second round with pick 48. They turned pick 48 into 59 and 101. At pick 59, they picked Denzel Mims, who they very well could have picked at pick 48. They turned pick 101 into 125, 129, and a 6 next year. So effectively... They turned pick 48 into Denzel Mims, James Morgan, Cameron Clark, and a six next year. When teams can not only do a great job with selections in the present, but can also add picks for the next draft coming up, makes that draft even better. They did a great job here. So, Makai Becton at 11, I talked about it in the last podcast, my number one offensive tackle in this draft. And I wanted them to go wide receiver round one, but the fact that they went in there and they got Beckton at 11 and then came out of it with Mims and all the other assets with their second round original pick, Joe Douglas did a killer job there. Uh, Denzel Mims, you add him to this offense. That is a weapon that Sam Darnold needs, this athletic big play threat that Denzel Mims is. And then Ashton Davis at 68, he was, I talked about him in the last podcast, or excuse me, the podcast before that, about guys who are my guys in this draft. Davis is a guy, I think he can play some corner in this league. He can play deep safety. You can bring up, up uh, bring him up in the box. He's a guy who can be effective on special teams. I know there's the injury concerns, but I really think he was an early second round uh, caliber prospect. And to get him at pick 68, I think that is a really enormous value. Uh, LaMichael Pirine, they got him at 120 in the fourth round. I think that was a really solid pick and good value there. Le'Veon Bell is not going to be on this team after this year. I think Pirine could very well end up being a long-term starter for them. The only pick I really have an issue with, I don't get why they picked James Morgan in the fourth round, developmental quarterback. You have Sam Darnold there. It just seems to me like a wasted pick. I feel like you could have gotten someone who could have been a contributor for you in a position of need. For example, off the edge, I know they picked uh, Jabari Zaninga in the round before that, but why not go out there and get a good value at Curtis Weaver in the fourth round rather than a developmental quarterback who, at his best-case scenario, is just a backup. I thought that was kind of a wasted pick. Cameron Clark at 129 offensive tackle out of Charlotte. That could be a sneaky nice pick there. Bryce Hall in the fifth round. Bryce Hall, again, had it not been for injuries, was a second- or third-round level prospect. So the Jets really took advantage of getting value where guys who would have gone earlier fell with injuries 
in Ashton Davis and Bryce Hall. Put all together, their haul this year was very strong. They added picks for next year. They maneuvered across the board. They hit offensive line. They hit wide receiver. I would have liked to see them address edge a little bit more, but it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to give the Jets a solid A in this draft, a very, very strong first draft for Joe Douglas in this New York Jets front office. Let's next go to the NFC East. The Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to say it straight up here. The Dallas Cowboys had my favorite draft, and I think the best draft of any team in the league. The Dallas Cowboys got a solid A. They got a Pro Bowl, a future Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver who should have been a top 10 pick at pick 17. They kept him away from a division rival. They go in there in the second round. They have a needed corner. Byron Jones just left. What did they do? They go and draft Trayvon Diggs, who is a first-round caliber prospect in my opinion, and they get him all the way at 51. Fill the need right there. That's a long-term starting corner. They go in there in the, sec- in the third round, pick 82. Neville Gallimore, one of my guys in this draft, a guy who is a big, strong player who's ridiculously athletic for his size, who can be a run presence and a pass rush presence on the interior of your defensive line. He should have gone earlier than pick 82, so that was another strong value. I think a long-term starter there. Fourth round, they trade up in front of the Giants with the Eagles. The Eagles trading down from 146. Cowboys come up. Tyler Biadaz, I know the injury concerns are there, but had they not been there, that's a second-round caliber prospect. They just lost Travis Frederick to retirement. Biadaz steps right in there, and that could very well be your next starting center right there. Bradley Anae at 179 in the fifth round. That's a round later than Bradley Anae should have gone, maybe even two rounds later. Bradley Anae, to me, maybe if not anything special, is going to be a solid rotational edge who will bring production to this team. And so I look at those selections specifically. Reggie Robinson and Ben DiNucci, I don't even need to factor in here. Ben DiNucci, I think, is a non-factor in this league. Reggie Robinson, I like that pick. You're adding another corner. You can never have enough corners. They just lost Byron Jones. But those picks I mentioned, CeeDee Lamb, Trayvon Diggs, Neville Gallimore, Tyler Biadaz, those four guys to me are long-term starters. You filled two major needs in Biadaz and Diggs. Amari Cooper's contract is no guaranteed money after two years. You now have a guy who can very well be a number one wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins light for the long term. Neville Gallimore is going to be an interior defensive line presence for you, and I think he's going to be a very, very productive player in this league. They got great value at almost every single pick. They filled needs. They got, at least in my mind, they got four starters in this draft. This is an A grade, the highest grade that I'm giving out. And I'm, I'm not giving out anything higher than an A. But the Dallas Cowboys are getting an A. This was an exceptional draft. Let's next go to the New York Giants. The New York Giants had themselves a decent little draft here. Andrew Thomas at the fourth overall pick. I talked about it in my immediate post-round one podcast. Solid player, can play on either side. Not a ton of upside. There are better offensive tackles available. Xavier McKinney at pick 36 is a ridiculous value. I really liked Xavier McKinney. Think he should have gone in that 18 to 23 range or so. And again, with Xavier McKinney, deep safety. Come up and make plays in the open field. Good tackler. Can get after the quarterback. Can stifle the run. 
um, is a guy who can bring into the box, can play linebacker if you wanted to as well, can play some slot corner as well. A lot of versatility there in Xavier McKinney, and I think that that's a first-round talent that they got to pick 36. And now you look at this defense, and Darnay Holmes, I'm going to factor into this at pick 110 in the fourth round, who I think is going to be a nice little slot corner. You have a lot of pieces in that secondary now. James Bradbury, obviously the number one corner. DeAndre Baker, I was not a fan of that pick or trade-up and pick last year, but he is still a young piece there. Sam Beal, uh, Julian Love, now Darnay Holmes, Jabril Peppers, and Xavier McKinney. That's six pieces right there, young pieces, or in Bradbury's case, a definitive number one cornerback in this league. You have a lot to work with there. And I, I like that secondary group they have there. I just wish that Rocky Asin was in that DeAndre Baker spot. But that's a nice secondary there. And especially with having McKinney and Peppers together gives you a lot of versatility and a lot of options with how you deploy these guys in your secondary. Matt Pert in the third round at 99. Going to take some time, but I think very well. You know, we look at it now. Nate Solder at left tackle. Andrew Thomas at right tackle for this coming season. It could very well end up that after this season, once they cut Nate Solder, Andrew Thomas is at left tackle and Matt Pert is at right tackle. So it'll take at least a year, maybe two, but I think there's a chance that Pert could be an adequate starting offensive tackle for this Giants team. I mentioned Darnay Holmes already. That's a nice little slot corner that they can have in this group in that secondary that I just mentioned. The Shane Lemieux pick at 150 I didn't like. They could have... Well, they got jumped in front of for Tyler Biadaz. They had a knee at center. Nick Harris was right there. He ended up going later to the Browns. I think they could have picked Nick Harris there, and Nick Harris could have started at center for them right away. So not under, not really understanding the Lemieux pick there. They have Will Hernandez. They have Kevin Zeitler. I thought their seventh-round picks, you know, I thought, again, for what you can get in the seventh round with those four picks, Coughlin, Brunson, Williamson, Crowder, I think especially in Coughlin's case, there's a chance he can be a contributor there. So I think overall, I look at the Giants draft, they uh, they they, ha- they attacked needs, they took shots on guys who could be long-term starters, they added to their secondary. McKinney at 36 is a really strong value. I think the story of this Giants draft is this. It was a solid draft that could have been better. You know, you could have come out of that with Mekhi Becton instead of Andrew Thomas, especially... I think they had a nice solid draft here. I'll give them a B. Nothing overly special. Could have been a little bit better, but still really solid. So I'll give them a solid B there, especially with Xavier McKinney, one of the best value picks of this entire draft. Next, we go to a really, really weird draft, the Philadelphia Eagles. First round here, I talked about in the last podcast, they went with Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. I did not like that. I think Justin Jefferson is the ultimate safety blanket and a guy who could be of extreme value to an NFL team. And Jalen Rager, you're really, really banking on that athleticism and him being a big-time athlete. And I mentioned that then, and clearly between, one, the fact that Deshaun Jackson had said to LaShawn McCoy that Howie Roseman told him the team was going for speed, and we've seen the rest of the wide receiver picks they made in this draft, they really, in a way, were kind of just infatuated with adding as much speed on offense as they possibly could. Jalen Rager, I just mentioned. John Hightower in the fifth round had a 4-4-3-40. Quez Watkins in the sixth round had a 4-3-5-40. 
right there, that's three wide receivers who all three of them are built on athleticism, speed, big-time playmaking. And then we go to Jalen Hurts in the second round. I'll say this. I like Jalen Hurts as a prospect a lot. I've said that on this podcast before. I think Jalen Hurts is my quarterback three of this draft, and I think he could be a nice, if nothing spectacular, a nice, adequate starter quarterback in this league. Mobile, strong accuracy. But here's the thing. The Eagles here, I understand that Carson Wentz is a player who has dealt with injuries and you could label as injury-prone if you wanted to. I understand that. I understand that if he were to get hurt, you now have a really, really, really strong backup in Jalen Hurts. But the best-case scenario for this team is that Jalen Hurts either doesn't play or is a really a gadget player who has special packages for him at certain times throughout the game. You really don't want Jalen Hurts to play if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, because if he's playing, that means Carson Wentz is yet again injured. I like Carson Wentz a lot. I think he's a really, really good quarterback. I think the fact that he has injury issues, I think people don't recognize just how good he is. But if he's healthy, Jalen Hurts isn't playing more than a play here or there. And Jalen Hurts is not a gadget player. Now, I've also seen people say, it's all right because he's a good quarterback, and if he has a good preseason, you can trade him for a second in the future. Here's the thing with that. First off, you're not getting a first for Jalen Hurts. Unless Wentz gets hurt, and Hurts plays for a long period of time, and then another team has an injury or a needed quarterback, you're not going to get a first-round pick for Jalen Hurts. So in that trade scenario, the best you're going to do is trading Hurts for a future second, which would mean that you used a second this year just to get a second in maybe two years from now. What's the point of that? This is a team who had needs at multiple spots. They needed to add safety. I don't think they adequately did. They needed to add an off-ball linebacker. I don't think they adequately did. They were sitting there at 53. They could have had Ashton Davis, a really nice, versatile piece to add to their secondary. They could have added another edge rusher like Julian Aquara, who I really like. I think that the value, just as far as pick 53 and Jalen Hurts as a prospect, just in that sense, yeah, there's a lot of value there. But for the team and situation, I don't, I don't get it. Because the best case scenario for Hurts to thrive there either factors in Wentz being hurt for a long period of time or some weird load management with quarterbacks, which is just not a thing unless they want to make it a thing. And even if you trade him for draft capital like a second in the future, you're going to use a second now when you need to add to your team for a second in two years? What's the? You could get a first in two years if you wanted to trade a second now for a future pick. So... People have really not been a fan of this. Then you have people who are really trying to spin it as a big positive. I don't see it. I I love the prospect. I love the value of the pick for the prospect. But the situation doesn't make sense at all. Davion Taylor in the third round. That's a guy who's going to take time to really develop. They have a need at linebacker now. He's not going to contribute there in probably the next two years. Kayvon Wallace, again, a safety slash corner from Clemson. That was really their only stab at attacking the secondary in this draft. Again, I think they needed to add more at the safety spot in this draft, and they didn't. I thought that was probably a round early for Wallace there in the fourth. Jack Driscoll, at the end of the fourth round, I really like that pick. And then to further it there, talking about offensive tackles from Auburn, 
Prince Tango Winogo has been one of my favorite prospects in this draft. I think there's a huge amount of upside there as a long-term offensive tackle. I think he should have been a late second to early third round pick, probably late second round pick, and they got him all the way in the sixth. That's one of the best values of the entire draft. So that bumps up the Eagles grade, in my opinion, because you got a guy there who could very well be a long-term starter for you at a premium position in the sixth round. I know he has the knee injury, and I know he might be a raw player, but look at Winogo's tape. He performed well against high-level edge rushers uh, that he was competing with. I think he has a lot of upside as a long-term starting offensive tackle in this league, and I think Driscoll could be a nice piece for depth on this offensive line for a long time. I mentioned all the wide receivers already. Uh, Philadelphia sports fans probably not crazy about adding a player named Sean Bradley in the draft, but again, Temple guy. I thought that was a nice little pick there as well. Put it all together, the fact of the matter is this. They got a little bit obsessed with speed, and I think, especially in the case of Rager, they passed on a prospect who was better and safer. You look at this wide receiver room now, you have Deshaun Jackson, you have Jalen Rager, you have Alshon Jeffrey, you have Greg Ward, at tight end you have Zach Ertz, and you have Dallas Goddard. You picked J.J. Arcega-Whiteside last year. You made the trade again. We talked about their infatuation with speed. They took pick 190 and turned it into Marquise Goodwin and 210. That trade I don't have an issue with. Move back 20 spots in the sixth round. You pick up a guy who could be a contributor. That's fine. But again, it's another example of their real obsession in this draft with adding speed. I think to give them a positive, I think that Howie Roseman did a very good job on day three with maneuvering around the board, moving down a lot, uh, really moving across the board a really significant amount. And I think that they got good value on day three, especially I mentioned in Winogo. I like the pick of Driscoll. And Goodwin, you switch uh, 190 for 210, you pick up Goodwin. Sure, why not? So their day three work was good. Day one and day two left a lot to be desired. So... I'm going to give the Eagles a C-plus in this draft. Just not a fan of it. I just think situationally, Hurts doesn't make sense, even though it was good value for the prospect. And I think that them being too obsessed with speed made them take a lesser prospect in Rager when they really needed that safety blanket like Jefferson in that wide receiver room where I just mentioned you have big play guys with speed like Jackson, now like Jalen Rager. Now, like Marquise Goodwin, you have your steady hand receiver as Alshon Jeffrey, who is washed, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who did not have a good rookie season, and Greg Ward, who he was good when everyone else was injured, but can he really be that player again for another season? I think they needed that steady hand type wide receiver, and they did not come out of this draft with that. So I'll give the Eagles a C-plus in this draft. Next, we go to the Washington Redskins. I'm going to go with a B for the Washington Redskins. Chase Young's the best player in this draft. Antonio Gibson in the third round. I think Antonio Gibson could be a nice, solid weapon on offense. He could be a guy you could give the ball to in the backfield as a running back. You could deploy him as a wide receiver. Kind of that positionless offensive player kind of ilk. That's what Antonio Gibson is. And this team needed to add playmakers and offensive weapons to this team, especially at receiver. Sadiq Charles in the fourth round, that could be a really strong value. I think if Things work out with Charles. They can work out his off-field issues. I think there's upside in Charles to be a long-term starter at offensive tackle. So if you could get that 
at a premium position in the fourth round. I think that is really strong value, especially for this team in the Redskins who do need some help on their offensive line. Antonio Gandy-Golden in the fourth. Again, they needed to add help at wide receiver. They added a guy in Gandy-Golden in the fourth round who I think could be a nice depth piece for their wide receiver room. Keith Ishmael from San Diego State. We talked about center and the New York Giants earlier. Keith Ishmael would have been a better pick than Shane Lemieux as well. I think Keith Ishmael could end up being a decent quality center for this team for the long term. And then you look at their fifth and two sevens, Kaliki Hudson, Cameron Curl, James Smith-Williams. Put all together here, a nice solid draft for the Redskins. They got the best player in the draft. They added offensive playmakers and weapons, which they really needed to add. And Antonio Gibson, who, again, I mentioned that positionless offensive player mold that he kind of fits. And Antonio Gandy-Golden, Sadiq Charles in the fourth round. There are issues there, but I think he could very well be a long-term starter on the offensive line. I think there's a chance that Keith Ishmael could be as well. So they attacked a need of the offensive line. They attacked a need of adding receiver and adding playmakers. Really nice, solid draft here for the Redskins. I'll give them a solid B. Next, let's go to the AFC South. Let's start with Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans. Now, they started off good. Ross Blacklock at 40 was a really strong value on the interior of your defensive line. A guy who can really pressure the quarterback and really stifle the run. I thought Blacklock at 40 was a really strong value. Jonathan Greenard, though, at 90, I know there was maybe a trade. Maybe there wasn't a trade with them in Detroit. Greenard got a lot of buzz in this draft process. I'm not a fan of him as a prospect. And then just the rest of this, John Reed in the fourth round, a shout-out to Mount Laurel, New Jersey, which is where this show is being recorded and he's from. John Reed, I think, could be a nice value in the fourth round, but Charlie Heck in the fourth, Isaiah Coulter in the fifth, just kind of meh. So Blacklock was a solid pick. Reed was a solid pick, a premium position in Reed. Got him in the fourth. I think it'd be a nice contributing depth corner for a long period of time. Also like the fact that they pulled the... Uh, Trait that I mentioned earlier, like the Dolphins did, where you trade a seventh and pick up a sixth in the following year. With that being said, outside of Blacklock and Reed as a depth piece, I don't really think they came out of much with this draft. I think people do want to be a little more negative on it just because it was Bill O'Brien, but at the same time, I don't think this was that good of a draft for them. I'll give them a C plus for this draft. Blacklock was solid. I like Reed in the fourth round. But whether the trade was botched or not, the Greenard selection was not great based on who was on the board. And outside of the pick on Blacklock and Reed, the best thing they did was trade a 7th for a 6th next year. Not that great. Next we go to the Indianapolis Colts. Chris Ballard always moving around the board, always shuffling around the board. Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor. They traded up to 41 to get Jonathan Taylor, selected Michael Pittman outright at 34. So they came into the second round with 34 and 44, came out of it with 34 and 41. Jonathan Taylor is my favorite running back in this draft. I think he is going to be an absolute stud, a bell cow running back who is a beast, an athletic specimen, physical runner. Would like to see him add some more ability as a pass catcher out of the backfield. But man, I think Taylor is going to be a stud in that backfield, especially behind that elite level offensive line that the Colts have. And then Michael Pittman Jr. at 34, again, his size, his college production, I think Michael Pittman we're looking at as a number two wide receiver in this league. And, you know, T.Y. Hilton getting up there, a guy who's been hurt before, 
on a pretty consistent basis. They drafted Paris Campbell last year. They needed to add at the wide receiver position in this loaded wide receiver draft. So now you have a young wide receiver duo of Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell. I really like Paris Campbell. I like Michael Pittman a lot, as I've said on this show many times. So that's a really strong wide receiver duo there. I think they have an absolute beast of a running back now in Jonathan Taylor. Again, his physical profile and his athletic profile are off the charts. Behind that line, he's going to be a beast. He produced so well in college, even when teams knew he was getting the ball and they were stacking the box against him. If he can improve as a pass catcher, this guy could potentially be an all-pro. I think he's that good. And then you look at the rest of their draft. Julian Blackman, I think the injury... Uh, the injury situation with him probably should have gone later as a result of that. Team, people will say that this was a reach. I think he's a good fit for them just as far as him being um, a nice piece for them in their secondary at that safety spot and just being someone who I think um, could be an effective guy in pass coverage as a versatile safety corner guy in the secondary. Jacob Easton in the fourth. I knew they were going to come out of this or I knew they wanted to come out of this draft with a quarterback. I'm not a fan of any of these quarterbacks, really, besides Tua, Burrow, and Hurts. I don't see Jacob Eason really amounting to anything in this league. Maybe he doesn't have to be because they picked him in the fourth round, but that's a career backup. I think they got it best in the fourth, so I'm not that crazy about that pick. Really not crazy about any of their picks from the fourth round on. So their first two picks were really, really strong. I think Blackman was a nice little pick for them just based off the fact that I think, especially at safety, he was really strong at coverage, has the ability to be versatile and play corner as well. I'll give the Colts a B for this draft. I just think th- their back half of the draft was not that great. I know they picked up the extra sixth, trading Quincy Wilson to the Jets, but the first two picks were so, so strong that I think it really boosts the overall quality of this draft. So I'll give the Colts a solid B because they got what I think could be an all-pro running back and a number two wide receiver for the long term. Next, we go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I really like the Jacksonville Jaguars draft. I give them an A- minus in this draft. C.J. Henderson, Caleb on Chasen, I talked about on uh, my last draft podcast, but again, I think you have two long-term contributors there, not necessarily elite-level players, I think Henderson is a high-quality cornerback two, low-quality cornerback one. Chasen is a number two off the edge. But again, two guys who will be contributors. In the second round, LaVisca Chenault. LaVisca Chenault, I kind of look at as someone who's probably going to deal with injuries on a consistent basis for his whole career. But when he's healthy, he's a really athletic, interesting player. Basically, in a a running back's body in a wide receiver. Big-time playmaker, just makes plays and is a difficult player to match up with and game plan for, I just think he's going to have injury concerns consistently through his whole career. Uh, Devon Hamilton in the third round, I really like that pick at 73. They picked him before Neville Gallimore, so it wasn't that crazy about that. But looking at Devon Hamilton again, we talk about a big body presence in the middle of your defensive line. He's a guy, again, kind of like what I mentioned with Raekwon Davis earlier, He's going to be an absolute beast as a run stopper. May not be that great uh, in the pass rush, getting after the quarterback. But man, you talk about a big body player who's going to be effective on the interior of your defensive line, stopping the run. That's what Devon Hamilton is going to be. A really strong two-down situational player there. Ben Barch in the fourth round. 
really strong value there at 116. I think Ben Barch, whether it's at tackle, whether it's at guard, I think there's a lot of upside there. And I think in three years from now, it is possible that we look at Ben Barch and we see a guy who's a consistent starter on this Jaguars offensive line. Shaq Quarterman, I thought it was a bit of a reach there. I like Colin Johnson in the fifth round. I think personally for me, if you can get a huge, big-bodied, really tall wide receiver, Colin Johnson is six foot six. I think you get a big red zone threat like that. That's the type of player in the fifth round I would like to take a take a shot on every single time. So I really like that pick there. Uh, Jake Luton in the sixth round. I, again, I'm not a fan of picking quarterbacks unless you think they're really going to be a starter and it's a premium pick used to pick the quarterback. So I kind of look at that as a wasted pick. But just looking at it here, Henderson, Chasen, Chenault, Hamilton, and Barch, really, really strong picks. I like taking a shot on Colin Johnson. Josiah Scott in the fourth, I thought that's a, that's a project pick there. There are better corners available. I'm going to give him an A- though for a couple reasons here. Not only do I think they picked guys who have upside and can be long-term contributors, a lot of these guys are upside plays and are not going to be huge immediate contributors. They're not going to make collectively a huge impact on this team right away. The Jacksonville Jaguars are in prime position to be the team best positioned for Trevor Lawrence in next year's draft. They did not affect that with the players they brought in in this draft and still added players who should be long-term solid contributors. And you combine this with the fact that last year they came out of the first two rounds with Josh Allen and Juwan Taylor. They still have Yannick Ngakwe. They filled the Jalen Ramsey spot with C.J. Henderson. They have a nice young edge rusher duo in Chasen and Josh Allen. They have Miles Jack. They signed Joe Schobert. They got a run stopper in the middle of their defensive line. They added another athletic, versatile, playmaking wide receiver piece in LaVisca Chenault. There are some nice young pieces on this Jaguars team to be excited about. And put all together, they have extra draft capital next year as well. My early prediction here, I think they're getting Trevor Lawrence next year. And once that happens, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a beast. We could be looking again at a really unique opportunity for the Jacksonville Jaguars to build a long-term, sustained winner. And not only, and going back to the prospects in this draft, they attacked premium positions. Corner, edge rusher, wide receiver, shot on Ben Barch, a shot on Josiah Scott at corner, another wide receiver in Colin Johnson, picked a corner in the seventh, premium positions. So, I think the Jaguars, I will give the Jaguars, as I mentioned, an A-, minus, a nice solid draft here, based a lot on upside, but that won't affect their ability in the short term to be a team in position to get Trevor Lawrence. Next, we go to the Tennessee Titans. You know, I'm not big on Isaiah Wilson, so I, I kind of expected him once he, we were there at 29 with their need to tackle. If they didn't trade down, I kind of thought he'd be the guy. I like the value on Christian Fulton a pretty good amount at 61 there. I think he's a guy who could be a starting corner in this league. Outside of that, though, I don't really, I'm not really blown away by any of the Titans picks here. I, I kind of think, you know, with Wilson, that's a big upside play there. I'm not that crazy about him. Outside of Fulton, I don't look at anyone in this draft class with Wilson, Fulton, Evans, Murchison, McDonald, Jackson. I don't see any long-term starter guarantee, any high probability long-term starters from this draft besides Christian Fulton. So I think, again, 
I can't totally write off Wilson because there's a lot of upside there. But I'm going to give the Titans a C for this draft. I just, I, I think Cole McDonald is a wasted pick. And just looking at the rest of this draft, Darrington Evans, I feel like they should have picked LaMichael Pirine, who went to the Jets. Isaiah Wilson at 29, I'd have rather have had Ezra Cleveland, but even still, I would have just traded down. Outside of Fulton, I'm not really crazy about any of these picks, so I'll give the Titans a C in this draft. Next, we go to the NFC South. The Carolina Panthers went 7-for-7 on defense. Derek Brown at 7. Again, Derek Brown is going to be a really solid player. However, they should have picked Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons and having his versatility all across your defense, players like that do not come around often. A player like Derek Brown is a replicable player. Isaiah Simmons is not. I'm not saying Brown's going to be bad. I think Brown will be a really solid player, but I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be a great player. Second round, Yatur Gross Matos at 38. The fact that Yatur Gross Matos was available in the second round is absurd. I think Gross Matos, again, athletic edge who can bring pressure off the edge, who can bring pressure off the inside. He's athletic, still moldable. I think he's not a finished product yet. I think Yaturgos Matos was a definitive first-round prospect, my second favorite edge in this draft. I think that that pick at 38 represents one of the best values of this draft. Jeremy Chin at 64. Between Chin and Kenny Robinson, shout out to the XFL, at pick 152. I like those additions at safety. Kenny Robinson, we talk about him at 152. Kenny Robinson is a ball-hawking safety. So if you could have Kenny Robinson playing deep safety, just kind of roaming the field by himself deep in the uh, deep in the middle of the field, that's I kind of like that as far as building out the secondary and the scheme you want to go with. Again, with Robinson, he's a guy who, with him being a ball-hawk, he's going to make some plays sometimes, he's going to have some misses sometimes. But you can just have him out there roaming the middle of the field I think Robinson could be a nice little piece for a team secondary as a depth player. Uh, Jeremy Chin was one of my top five safeties in this draft. You know, they needed to address corner more than they did. I think Troy Pride from Notre Dame in the fourth round was a really strong value. But the only other corner that they picked was Stanley Thomas Oliver in the seventh round. We're not relying on a seventh round pick here to be a contributor. So I, I would have liked to see them address corner more than they did, but they got a guy who's going to be really solid in Derek Brown getting after the quarterback and stifling the run. They got an edge rusher in Yatur Gross Matos, who I think is going to be a long-term starter and a high-quality edge rusher. Jeremy Chin and Kenny Robinson, really solid additions at safety. I mentioned Pride is a good value. They went 7-for-7 on defense. They got a Baylor guy in there for Matt Rule. I think the Panthers had a nice little draft that, again, could have been better, so I'm going to give them a solid B in this draft. Next, we go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a really nice draft here. Moved up one spot, switched out a 7th for a 4th. They got Tristan Wirfs. They needed help on the offensive line, especially at right tackle. Wirfs is going to step in right away and be a really strong piece there for them. Antoine Winfield at 45, one of my favorite picks the entire draft. I mentioned in my last podcast when I talked about my guys, I think Winfield is a total, total stud and is going to be a big-time contributor for that defense right away. They need to add help in their secondary. I think Winfield is going to be an absolute beast. They need to add running back. They added Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round. Uh, I really like the pick of Tyler Johnson in the fifth round. Basically a case of the rich get richer, you're strengthening a strength. You already have Mike Evans. 
You already have Chris Godwin. You already have Gronk. You already have OJ Howard. You already have Cameron Bray. Why not go in there in the fifth round at 161 and add Tyler Johnson, who is a big play threat, a guy who is a guy who's going to go up and catch balls, even if there's a defender near him, even if it's a contested play. He's a guy you can throw the ball up to. He's going to go up and grab it, and he's a big play threat there. And you add that to that array of weapons already. I like the pick of Keyshawn Vaughn as well. I think it was a decent pick in the third round. I think they had themselves a nice little draft here, the Buccaneers. They really attacked a need on the offensive line. They added a guy who I think is going to be a beast in the secondary where they had a need. They added another pretty solid weapon at the wide receiver spot. Added a needed running back. I would have really have liked to have seen them get Clyde Edwards-Helaer in that backfield. Unfortunately, it did not work out. But nonetheless, I look at this Buccaneers team. I'm going to give them a solid B-plus here. I think this is a really solid draft. Actually, no, I'm going to give them an A-minus. I'm going to give them an A-minus. I think Wirfs and Winfield addressing needs and to come out of those need addressings uh, with those two prospects and adding Johnson, I think that's an A-minus draft. I think they had a really strong draft here. I'm really excited to see how all of these additions and all of these weapons play out for this Buccaneers team. Then we go to the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons, their first three selections in this draft, no one who's going to be overly spectacular, but I think three solid players. A.J. Terrell, I kind of had him in that tier again in the pre-draft process alongside guys like Trayvon Diggs and like Christian Fulton. I I think A.J. Terrell is not going to be a spectacular player. I think he'll be a solid, nice little number two quality corner. Nothing special, but I think a solid, adequate starter. Marlon Davidson, whether it's on the interior of your defensive line, whether it's off the edge, I kind of look at at Davidson, and I think, yes, it's a bit of a project-type pick, but I think the versatility there, I think in the long term, maybe he doesn't necessarily be anything overly special, but I think you're getting a contributing player that has versatility along your defensive line. And at Matt Hennessy at 78, I think you're getting a long-term starting center. So those three picks there, no one overly spectacular, but three solid selections there. In the fourth round, uh, Michael Walker and Jalen Hawkins addressed linebacker, addressed safety, added a punter in the seventh round. I'll give the Falcons a solid B in this draft. Again, nothing special, but in those first three picks, just three solid guys who I think will be contributors for them in the long term. And then the New Orleans Saints to round out the NFC South here. The Saints, Zach Bond at 74 is one of the best values of this draft. I think Zach Bond is a total stud. Again, stifles the run, gets after the quarterback, really strong in pass coverage. I kind of like a liken him to Kyle Van Noy. He should have been a late first, early second round prospect. They got him at 74. Cesar Ruiz, they picked a 24. Again, they had a need on the interior offensive line. He can play a guard or he can play at center. They packaged a lot of picks, sent them to the Vikings, got it for Adam Troutman, traded back in with a sixth next year to get into the seventh to pick a quarterback in Tommy Stevens from Mississippi State. They went out and signed Jameis Winston right away after the draft. Don't really get going in there for Stevens in the seventh round. The way I look at this draft for the Saints was this. The additions of Ruiz and Bond were really strong. They packaged a lot of picks into Troutman, so the qual- uh, the quantity, the quality of this draft, I think, was really solid with Ruiz and Bond, but the quantity should have been more than it was. 
So I'll give them a B, but had they kept more of their later picks and maneuvered around the board a little bit, I think it very well could have been a B-plus or an A-minus, but I'll give them a solid B in this draft. Great value in Bond, good value in Ruiz. Ruiz, a player at a position of need right away. Bond, not necessarily the prototypical off-ball linebacker they had a need for, but a guy who can be a really versatile piece in their defense. I'll give the Saints a solid B in this draft. Next, let's go to the AFC West, and let's start with the Los Angeles Chargers. Not a fan of this draft. Now, I, I, it was obvious based off of their offseason moves and how they were positioning themselves coming into the draft. It was obvious that they were going to go with the quarterback, and Justin Herbert ended up being that quarterback. I've made my sentiments on Herbert known previously on this podcast. I'm not a fan, and I'm not a believer. I did not like the trade at all of them going in there, trading 37 and 71 for 23. That's a lot to get in there for Kenneth Murray. I like the player. I hate the value that they put in there to get there. That was just not worth it at all. Looking at the rest of this draft, Joshua Kelly was a nice little addition at running back. They already have Austin Eckler, though, and they already have Justin Jackson. So, you know, I think it was a decent little addition, but they could have probably looked at a different position had they wanted to. K.J. Hill in the seventh round is a really strong value, but I can't get over the fact of, one, committing your franchise to Justin Herbert, and two, trading 37 and 71 for 23. They could have come into this draft and said, hey, we have the chance to add a premium or a high-quality player, an offensive tackle, a premium position where we have a need. You know, they could have gone in there and added anyone besides Andrew Thomas because they have a need. Or they could have gone in there and added Isaiah Simmons, and you would have had a ridiculous, versatile, flexible, elite-level athlete combination on the defensive side of the ball where you already have a ton of talent. You could have had Derwin James and Isaiah Simmons in the same defense. So there were chances at that sixth pick to really add difference-making players to this team, and you still could have gone out there and had, you know, you, you have Tyrod Taylor in there. You could have signed Cam Newton also, and you could have had Cam Newton and Tyrod Taylor and as your quarterback room. I think that could have been a sufficient, solid quarterback duo for the year, and you could have added yourself a long-term tackle. You could have added yourself a ridiculous Swiss Army knife in addition to having already a ridiculous Swiss Army knife in Derwin James. You would have had both guys who both would have been looked at as having gone too early or too late in the draft and should have gone earlier. Instead, you have a guy in Justin Herbert who I'm really not a fan of at all. I think he's a low mid-tier quarterback long-term. Kenneth Murray traded a a second and a third, both high-quality picks at that in those rounds to get to 23 for Kenneth Murray. I'm going C-minus here. The use of resources was poor. The quarterback that they're banking their franchise on I don't think is a high-level franchise quarterback. C-minus here. Not a fan of this Chargers draft. Next, we go to the Las Vegas Raiders. A very weird draft. You know, we talked about it on the first podcast. They went for speed in getting Henry Ruggs. Should have gone with CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy, but they wanted speed and they got it. And look, Henry Ruggs is not just a speedster. He's a very solid, talented wide receiver. He can be a number one wide receiver. I just think that Lamb and Judy are both better prospects than him. Damon Arnett at 19, I got into it last show. I think it was too early. There were much better corners available. Arnett, a big physical corner, probably should have gone in the second, uh, mid, mid-second, mid late-second round. He was their guy. They went in and got him, but I don't think there was value there. I think that was a pretty strong reach. 
Let's talk about their day two stuff I haven't talked about yet. Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky. There is your super crazy, versatile Taysom Hill of this offense now. Play him at wide receiver, play him at running back, play him as a wildcat player, play him at quarterback. You can do a lot of weird, crazy stuff with Lynn Bowden. And I'm sure John Gruden loves the fact that you can get in there a guy in Bowden who is this really strongly versatile offensive weapon who can be a playmaker, who can be a guy who takes the ball, snapped under center, and is actually a quarterback for you. He is their Taysom Hill now. So in the third round, I think there are better contributors at more important areas just in terms of premium positions and more important positions to attack for this team. But at the same time, I think it is nice to have such a versatile, gadgety player in your offense that you can work with. Brian Edwards, look, I I don't think there's anything too special about Brian Edwards. I think he's a nice depth wide receiver, you know, a pretty standard traditional wide receiver, kind of like what Tyrell Williams is in their offense now. Nothing special, but I think a nice depth piece there. You add more quantity of offensive weapons. Amik Robinson at 139 in the fourth round is a really, really strong value. I think he should have gone around earlier. And you they had a needed corner, getting great value in Robertson and a reach uh, in picking Damon Arnett. Come out of that draft, you added two corners. So they had a need there. They addressed it. I think they, you know, you look at the safety spot, they did sign Jeff Heath this offseason, but it was a spot that warranted a selection in this draft. They went with Tanner Muse, your typical safety or box linebacker, or safety, box safety, kind of like a linebacker type safety. John Simpson, again, they love going with guys from Clemson. But looking overall at this draft, they, they added talent for sure. They really beefed up the weapon arsenal on their offense. They had a great value in Amit Robinson at 139. But this draft was just kind of weird. They valued certain attributes really highly. And I think they passed on better players and prospects just because they were sort of infatuated with certain players as their guy. So if I had to come up with a grade for this, I'll give them a B- minus because I, think, I still think they had a solid draft. But I just think that it could have been better and it was a little, it was a good draft, but it could have been better and it was a little bit weird at times. So I'll give them a B minus in this draft. Let's then look here at the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos to me had one of my favorite drafts. I'm giving them a solid A. Jerry Judy without having to trade up. KJ Hamler, a speedster wide receiver out of Penn State. Another weapon for Drew Locke. Lloyd Cushenberry, I think, is a long-term starter at center. Albert O at 118 was my favorite tight end in this draft. Albert O, 4-4-9-40 as a tight end. Big-time athleticism, speedy tight end as far as the position is concerned. A lot of athletic upside there. I really like that addition. Um, and having him in there as a complement at the tight end spot to Noah Fant. Again, you're just adding weapons around your franchise quarterback or what might be your franchise quarterback and giving him every available option to succeed. And then just looked at it here, just looking at their offseason prior to the draft and the draft itself. You franchise tag Justin Simmons so he didn't go anywhere. You then go out there and you sign Graham Glasgow as a guard on your offensive line in addition to drafting Lloyd Cushenberry at center. You sign Melvin Gordon as your running back 
in addition to having Philip Lindsay, Lindsay there as well. You're able to draft Jerry Judy without having to trade up. You draft K.J. Hamler in the second round, a speedster, another weapon for Drew Locke. You have Cortland Sutton in place. You draft Albert O, and you now have Noah Fant and Albert O at tight end. You have the aforementioned wide receivers that I just mentioned. And then you look at the rest of the draft again, as I've been addressing. We go to the defensive side of the ball. You add a corner. And in Nitain Moody, going back to the offensive line, you add another guy, not only Glasgow, not only Lloyd Cushenberry, but Nitain Moody at 181. I think he is an offensive guard who starts for this team in the long term. So on the offensive side of the ball, this offseason, they have done a superb job. They've given Drew Locke, who they really seem to be positioning to be their long-term franchise quarterback, If he's the guy and if he's going to succeed this year, they're giving him all the weapons and all the chances to succeed. He's got two strong running backs. They have a long-term number one wide receiver now in Jerry Judy. They have a long-term really strong number two wide receiver in Cortland Sutton. They added KJ Hamler in the second round. They added three three guys at the offensive line, one a really solid starter right now, two guys drafted who I think could be solid starters. They added another tight end with great athleticism. In addition to Fantu, they added a tight end in last year's draft. This offense is loaded with weapons, and they have given themselves a ton of young players to build this offense out linear in a linear fashion alongside of Drew Locke's development. So I love what the Broncos have done this offseason. I love the draft that they had. They're getting a solid A from me. And then one thing I forgot to mention there, didn't really address the defensive side of the ball enough with their offseason. Jarrell Casey for just a seventh. A.J. Bouye for a mid-round draft pick when they had plenty of them. I mentioned Michael Ojemudia as well, I think as a nice long-term slot corner for them. Just put all together, I think the Broncos have just had perhaps one of, maybe not the best, but one of the best offseasons of any team in the league combining their great free agent moves and their great draft. This is a an offseason that has really improved this Broncos team. And this Broncos team now, as far as their long-term outlook, and even their short-term outlook, in my opinion, is very, very strong. John Elway has had a dynamite, dynamite offseason thus far. I can't say enough positive things. A solid day for this draft and a solid day for their overall offseason. Let's stay in the AFC West here. Let's keep it moving along. And let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs, the reigning defending Super Bowl champions. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire in the first round. I already got into it. My co-running back one, Brian Westbrook 2.0 under Andy Reid. Willie Gay Jr. in the second round. Willie Gay Jr. is one of my five top linebackers in this draft. There are off-field concerns, but I look at Willie Gay Jr. And I see a guy who is a prototypical modern off-ball linebacker. He's got great speed. He's got great size. He's got great athleticism. He's good in pass coverage. If everything stays okay off the field, this is a great value pick for them at 63. And then Lucas Niang, I think, again, has the potential to be a long-term starter for this team. So in those three selections alone, I think they got a lot of really solid value. I think in Clyde Edwards-Hiller, he fits their offense and what Andy Reid does perfectly. I'm going to give the Chiefs a solid B in this draft. Now let's move it along from the AFC West 
and let's move it to the NFC West. The Arizona Cardinals, who I think had one of the best drafts in the entire league. Isaiah Simmons at 8 went way lower than he should have. I mentioned it in the last podcast. This guy is going to be a stud. That versatility, the ability to play effectively at linebacker, at safety, at corner, off the edge, pressuring the quarterback in pass coverage, his speed, his size, the overall combination, this player does not come around very often. And the Cardinals got him an 8. That is absurd. And then the Cardinals, who, as we know, the 40th pick went in the DeAndre Hopkins trade, they had a big needed offensive tackle, so they needed to address that in this draft. And Josh Jones, who, in my mind, the Dolphins should have taken at 18 over Austin Jackson, they get him at 72 in the third round. That is ridiculous. They got a, in my opinion, a starting right tackle for the long term who offers at that spot incredible value. That's a first-round caliber prospect at a premium position that for this roster was a major need, and they got it in the third round, and they didn't have a second. Exceptional work coming out of this draft, effectively turning your first three round, uh, first three round of picks into Isaiah Simmons as part of a trade, DeAndre Hopkins, and Josh Jones. Leaky Fotu in the fourth round, that is just a big run-stopper in the middle of your defensive line. Rashad Lawrence, or Rashard Lawrence, excuse me, in the fourth round as well, same thing. A big presence who is going to stuff the run in the middle of your defensive line. I like both of those picks, and especially with Foe 2. I think Foe 2 has the chance to really be a beast in the middle of that defensive line. Um, and then just looking at this draft overall, I've got to give it an A. i got to give it an A. Isaiah Simmons and Josh Jones, tremendous values. Josh Jones, a huge need, a first-round caliber prospect at a premium position all the way in the third. Fotu and Lawrence, I think, are really solid prospects that are going to be effective in the middle of their defensive line. Eno Benjamin in the seventh as a running back, I think he could have gone in the sixth, so I thought that was nice value there as well. Solid A here for Steve Keim and Cliff Kingsbury in this Cardinals organization. The Arizona Cardinals absolutely killed it in this draft. And... Moving forward with Kyler Murray now having DeAndre Hopkins and the offense they're going to have now have added to their offensive line, added Isaiah Simmons to this defense with now adding also uh, guys in the interior of their defensive line to stuff the run. This is going to be a very exciting team moving forward. Next, we go to the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams had a weird draft in that I like the, some of the prospects that they took but I'm not necessarily sure where the right picks for them, if that makes sense. I love Cam Akers at 52. I think he's going to be a great running back. But they picked a running back early in the second round last year. I know Darrell Henderson wasn't that good, but they picked him in the second round. So they picked a running back in the second round two years in a row. Van Jefferson at 57. They picked him ahead of Denzel Mims. And they still have Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. And are supposedly giving a bigger role to Josh Reynolds, and Van Jefferson's already almost 24 years old. And I think Van Jefferson is solid, but I kind of looked at him as kind of being a mid-third-round prospect. I know they picked him late second, so there's not that much of a difference, but I thought it was a bit early, especially considering that Denzel Mims went after this pick. And with the three wide receivers they had in place, I don't necessarily think they really needed to address wide receiver early on. And running back, again, I love the prospect, 
but it's two years in a row that they've picked a running back in the second round. Now, Terrell Lewis and Terrell Burgess in the third round, edge and safeties there, I have no issue with. Both of those guys, you know, Lewis and Burgess should have gone earlier than they did. You had injury concerns in there and whatnot. But again, safety, edge rusher in the third round there in Lewis and Burgess. Burgess uh, had a 90 PFF grade as far as his pass coverage was concerned last year with over 400 coverage snaps at Utah. I think Lewis is really solid as well. He would have gone earlier if there were not injury concerns. So those two guys in the third round, I thought were really solid values. Uh, Looking at the rest of their draft, they drafted tight end Bryson Hopkins in the fourth round. And again, we talk about adding offensive weapons for Sean McVay, but they already had and have Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee at tight end. So... I think the fact of the matter with this, if you look at their overall draft, I like the Lewis and Burgess picks a lot. I love Akers as a prospect, but they picked a running back last year early as well. I just kind of look at their draft and they picked some prospects that I liked, but not necessarily guys who I think that they should have been spending these resources on. So I'm going to give them a B- minus here. I think they got a good amount of talent in, but the resources and the resources that they used and the positions that they targeted with their draft capital supply, when they're a team depleted of draft capital supply this year and next year as far as the first round picks are concerned, it could have been better even though they added talent. So I'll give the Rams a B- minus in this draft. Next we go to the Seattle Seahawks, who I am going to give a C. They had a weird draft. They almost always trade down in the first round. They didn't. They traded down at certain points in time. They trade a sixth next year to get back into the end of this draft, which is very uncharacteristic of them. Jordan Brooks at 27. There was a lot of buzz that he would get into the first round. They picked him ahead of Patrick Queen, which frankly stunned me. Uh, Daryl Taylor in the second round off the edge. He was a guy who a lot of people liked as well, but they traded up to get him, and I don't think that Taylor was a player that frankly warranted them trading up 11 spots and giving up 101 to do so. I would have rather kept 59 and 101 than traded up for Taylor. Um, And looking at the rest of this draft, Damian Lewis, interior offensive lineman from LSU. I think it's very possible that we can see Lewis come in there and be a starter for them at offensive guard right away, especially after having cut both Justin Britt and DJ Fluker after the draft. Uh, Looking at the rest of their maneuvering in this draft, again, as I come back to here, it just felt kind of uncharacteristic of a normal Seahawks draft staying put or trading up or trading down at certain part at certain points of the draft Um, DJ Dallas okay value in the fourth round there not really a fan of anything they did in the on day three of the draft let me put this way they could have had 59 and 101 so they trade up to 48 for Daryl Taylor again people liked him but I don't think it was worth trading up for they picked Jordan Brooks over Patrick Queen. They traded back into the draft, trading a future pick to get back in on day three. I think they just had a very weird draft, so I'm going to go with a C for the Seahawks. And lastly, the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to give them a B plus. Javon Kinlaw is going to be a stud in the middle of their defensive line, uh, replacing the departed DeForest Buckner. They traded back one spot there, turned the seventh into a fourth, used that fourth as part of a trade package to get up from 31 to 25 for Brandon Ayuk. I mentioned in the last podcast, I like Brandon Ayuk a lot. Big time athletic presence, big play threat. I like the duo of him of Debo Samuel, especially in Kyle Shanahan's offense. But I would have rather have stayed at 31 and kept the picks. Still gotten a good wide receiver at that spot. 
you know, I, I think outside of Kinlaw and Ayuk, I didn't really, I wasn't wowed any in any real way with their draft. They got that extra fifth in trading out Matt Breida. They were able to move up 20 spots in the sixth round and move off of Marquise Goodwin. Let's let's address the Trent Williams trade. They sent out a fifth in this year's draft and a third next year. Joe Staley retired. They have Mike McGlinchey in there, but now you replace Joe Staley with Trent Williams, so you keep your offensive tackle spots as a huge strength of yours. Frankly, a fifth this year and a third next year. It's the equivalent of trading a fourth and a fifth. You trade a fourth and a fifth for Trent Williams, even though he missed a year last year, with no issue. You do that every time. So I really like the value there in trading a fifth this year and a third next year. Frankly, a fourth and a fifth uh, for Trent Williams. So really solid value there, getting that high-level player to replace the retiring Joe Staley. Kinlaw and Ayuk I thought were great additions. Not a huge fan of anything as far as selections in the latter part of the draft with their few later remaining picks, but the uh, getting Williams, the really strong selections in Kinlaw and Ayuk, getting some value back for Breida, uh, getting off of Goodwin and moving up a little bit, I'll give the 49ers a B-plus in this draft. Next, let's go to the AFC North, and then we'll hit the AFC or the NFC North after that. The Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals had a real nice draft. Didn't move around the board, stayed put, made their picks. Joe Burrow, we don't need to get into. Joe Burrow, absolute stud. T. Higgins to start the second round. They need. I, I would have liked to see them add at that wide receiver spot. They franchised A.J. Green. They still have Tyler Boyd. They still have John Ross. They still have Auden Tate. But that's definitely a spot that this team coming into this draft, obviously having Joe Burrow now add as many weapons as possible on this offense around him. A.J. Green is not in their long-term future. He is a short-term future player because he's up there in age, uh, has injury issues as well. Tyler Boyd, again, a real solid number two wide receiver. Auden Tate had some spurts that were nice last year. John Ross has never consistently stayed healthy. So get T. Higgins in there. You know, I liked Michael Pittman more, but I think T. Higgins is going to be a real solid number two wide receiver as well. So getting him in there at pick 33, a long-term weapon for Joe Burrow. Love them going in there and getting a wide receiver like T. Higgins at 33. Uh, Moving from there... The, the pick of theirs that I disliked the most was Logan Wilson at 65. You know, I, I know they wanted to address the linebacker spot, but frankly, I think they got a better linebacker at 107 in Akeem Davis-Gaither than they did at 65 in Logan Wilson. And I really think they should have gone for Josh Jones at 65. I think their offensive line could have used some additions. You know, I know they're getting Jonah Williams back, the first-round pick from last year, who didn't play last year because of injury. I know that they have Bobby Hart. I know they signed Xavier Suafilo this offseason. I think they could have used some help on the offensive line. And Josh Jones, for a team that could have used some offensive line help, a first-round caliber prospect to start the third round, I think that could have I think that could have represented really strong value for them. Uh, but nonetheless, we go back to Logan Wilson. Solid, but I think could have been a better pick at that spot. Akeem Davis-Gaither, I think, was a really strong value at the linebacker spot. I think he was a third-round caliber prospect. Uh, Khalid Kareem, I think, was a fourth-round caliber prospect. Premium position off the edge. They got him in the fifth. I'll give the Bengals a really strong B-plus here. Um, They got themselves their franchise quarterback in place. They made solid additions um, across the board. The third-round pick could have been better. Could have been nice to see them maneuver a little bit around the board and add some more draft capital but they stayed at their spots, 
They added solid prospects, they addressed needs, and they built up their offense around their now franchise guy in Joe Burrow. So a solid B-plus for the Bengals. I think they had a real nice draft. Let's move to the Cleveland Browns, one of my favorite drafts of any team. Give them a solid A here. Not only did they select really solid players in the present, they maneuvered all around the board. They added draft capital. They added draft capital for next year. They added a third-round pick in next year's draft. Let's go to the selections this year. We mentioned Jedrick Wills. That's a franchise left tackle right there. Grant Delpit at 44. I liked Antoine Winfield more, but I like Grant Delpit a good deal. Jim Thorpe award-winning safety at LSU. I think the guy is going to be a really solid player in their secondary, and they frankly had a pretty strong knee at safety. You know, before this, they had Carl Joseph and Andrew Sendejo at the safety spot. You know, Eric Murray was no longer there. Uh, Morgan Burnett was released, so they needed to address the safety spot. And they got a guy in Grant Delpit who I think, especially if he's the player that he was two years ago, they're getting a stud at a position of need. Jordan Elliott in the third round, I think that was really strong value there. I think he could have definitely gone um, a round earlier. Jacob Phillips, kind of there, kind of going for what Sashi Brown did when you know Andrew Berry was a member of that front office, but Sashi Brown was the man in charge. They found Joe Schobert in the mid-rounds of the draft. He was great for them for many years. When he got time, when it got time to pay him, they let him go. They'll get a comp pick for him, perhaps. Now, Jacob Phillips in there in the late third, attempting to replicate what Sashi Brown did with Joe Schobert for this regime now after letting Christian Kirksey and Joe Schobert both leave in free agency. Harrison Bryant at 115, my second favorite tight end in this draft, was a real strong addition. You now have this team where Kevin Stefanski likes to employ two tight end sets. You have Austin Hooper, you have David Njoku, and now you have Harrison Bryant. Really strong value and a player that is valued in the scheme that Kevin Stefanski is going to run offensively. Nick Harris in the fifth round, I think he'd be, he could be a starting center right away. To get him in there when, you know, I think teams like the Giants I mentioned earlier really should have picked Nick Harris I really like that selection there for their, for them in the fifth round. That's a long-term starter for them, potentially. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth, he could have gone a round or two earlier. And they just go in there in the sixth round, and they get a great value, and they add quantity to their already strong, uh, strong array of weapons at receiver around Baker Mayfield. So they addressed their greatest need of offensive tackle. They added picks for next year. They addressed a big need of safety, and they just got value all across the board. The Browns, to me, have the makings of a playoff team this coming year. An aligned organization, a new coaching staff, and a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. An A draft, an exceptional draft by the Cleveland Browns, Andrew Berry's first draft as general manager. Next, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers had an interesting draft. I'll go with the Steelers with a B-. Chase Claypool is an interesting weapon. Wide receiver slash tight end type. Alex Highsmith as an edge or linebacker in the third round. He was a prospect who a lot of people had interest in. Um, I like the pick of Anthony McFarland Jr. They seem to be souring um, a bit on James Conner. I think McFarland in the fourth was a really solid value. Not necessarily anything that pops off the page to me as far as the prospects they added, but I think Chase Claypool is a nice, versatile offensive weapon, whether it's wide receiver or tight end. Alex Highsmith, I think, will be a contributor on the defensive side of the ball. 
Anthony McFarland, I think, can be a contributor if he's given opportunity. So nothing special. Could have been a little bit better, but I'll give him a B-. minus. A nice, decent little draft here for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then we go to the Baltimore Ravens, who had a grade of an A from me. The Baltimore Ravens are the best-run organization in the NFL. They go in there, they maneuver up and down all across the board after coming into the draft with a ton of picks as a result of previous transactions and playing the comp pick game well as they do every single year. They came in, Patrick Queen was the perfect player team fit in this draft. I didn't think he'd get to them, that he did exactly what they needed at an off-ball linebacker spot. J.K. Dobbins at 55, this is a team who runs the ball a pretty large amount. Mark Ingram is on the other side of 30 when he's no longer on the team. They now have a guy in J.K. Dobbins who right away can continue that high-quality rushing attack that this team likes to employ. And even still, right now, past Mark Ingram, they have, what, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards. J.K. Dobbins is going to get run in this offense. He's going to get opportunity in this offense right away. So you're increasing the quality of the running game that you so often employ in this offense. Now, you can also look at it as maybe they didn't need to go running back there because they've gotten so much production out of guys like Justice Hill and like Gus Edwards or, in past years, Alex Collins. But to me, Dobbins is going to continue the high-quality ability to uh, run the ball once Ingram is no longer there and in the present gives them a really strong combination of Ingram and Dobbins out of that backfield. Justin Matabuike, a really strong value at 71 you know, we look at their defensive line. They traded for Clayus Campbell. They added Derek Wolf. Now here adding Justin Madubuike. They needed to add wide receiver weapons to this team. Devin Duvernay, someone who has speed, who's a big play weapon on the outside. You combine that speed with Hollywood Brown speed. So you're attacking a, uh, attacking a need there. Malik Harrison, again, I thought was a nice addition. Again, further at the linebacker spot, a position of need for them. And then where they really just hit home here, was the 6th and 7th round. 7th round, Geno Stone. Geno Stone should have gone in the 5th round, at least. And they got him there in the 7th round. And we talk about a team who values pass coverage above all else. Geno Stone's going to be a really solid presence in their secondary, improving this pass coverage that they have there even further. And then James Prochi um, from SMU, that's a guy who I could have seen going all the way in the 4th round. And they got him there in the sixth. So you have a position of need at wide receiver. They added Devin Duvernay and James Prochi. They added Geno Stone at safety. They added on their defensive line with Justin Matibuike. They strengthened their often used rushing game with J.K. Dobbins. They filled their big need at off-ball linebacker with Patrick Queen. They added some offensive line guys. They added another interior defensive lineman in Broderick Washington. They added another linebacker for depth purposes in Malik Harrison. This team maneuvers up and down the board. They got great value in their trades, and they got great prospects in there. And I'm sure that next year they'll come into this draft with comp picks added, with a lot of quantity of picks, and add another really strong draft class because that's what this team does every single year. But the fact of the matter is this. The Baltimore Ravens came in. They needed an off-ball linebacker. They got one. They needed wide receiver help. They got two. They actually got two linebackers as well with Malik Harrison. They added help on the defensive line. They added help in the backfield. They added in the secondary. A grade. 
The trades they got or the trades they made got them great value, and the prospects added here attack needs got them great value and added a lot of talent and youth to this team. This Baltimore Ravens team deserves a Super Bowl. Now we go to the NFC North, the last division of these draft grades here on After the Final Whistle. Again, I am your host, Brad Clear. The Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions had an interesting draft here. First off, I don't know what the deal is with Carrion Johnson, but they picked two running backs in this draft. Uh, Okuda I went into on the last podcast. If they were going to stay at three, that was the guy to pick. Julian Aquara at 67 was a really strong value off of the edge. I really like him as, as the guy there. Uh, Jonah Jackson at 75. I thought that was really strong value there as well. Um, he's a guy in the interior of your offensive line, a guard who is not only going to be an effective uh, blocker in the run game, but a very strong pass protector as well. They doubled up on guard. They went with Logan Stenberg from Kentucky in the fourth round. Um, they added Quintez Cephas in the fifth round. He's got some off-field issues or pretty significant off-field issues in the past. They added Jason Huntley, as I mentioned, adding two running backs. Uh, DeAndre Swift at 35. I think DeAndre Swift is going to be a good running back. I just don't see the need to have added a running back, let alone two, when you have Kerryon Johnson. I know he was hurt this past year, but he's a solid running back. Okuda replaces the hole that Darius Slay left. Attack a premium position with a high-quality prospect. DeAndre Swift, a good running back prospect, but they didn't really need to add at running back, especially that early. Aquara getting a second-round edge-quality guy in the third round was really strong value. I think they got a starting guard in Jonah Jackson in the third round, added another guard. I think the, the Lions had a decent draft that was a little weird in some parts and could have been better. So I'll give the Lions a solid B in this draft. Next, we go to the Chicago Bears. I don't really know what they were going for here, picking Cole Komet at 43. They just signed Jimmy Graham. I'm not that crazy about the tight end class in this draft. I'm not, I don't understand that one. Uh, Jalen Johnson at 50 was great value. I think he was a first-round caliber corner. I think he could step in and be a starting corner long-term for this team. I look at Jalen Johnson long-term. I see a steady number two starter corner. Darnell Mooney in the fifth, uh, the wide receiver from Tulane, I thought was a pretty strong addition there as well. But especially there, we look at the day three picks. Travis Gibson from Tulsa off the edge. That's a guy who, if you look across draft boards, across big boards, he's a guy who was pretty highly rated by a lot of people. And I think Gibson, in the long term, is going to be able to contribute for them off of the edge. Um, just looking at this draft overall, the Komet pick was weird. They didn't need a tight end. The Johnson pick was solid value. The Gibson pick was solid value. The Mooney pick was solid value. I'll give the Bears a B- minus in this draft. The Komet pick should have been better. But outside of that, I think they got a decent amount of value at multiple other picks. So I'll give the Bears a B- minus in this draft. Next, we go to the Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings had an incredible draft, a solid A in my book. They got quantity and quantity of picks to the point where they made 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 picks. And not only did they make 15 picks, but they did what I love seeing teams do. They double-dipped in not only adding high-quality prospects in the present, but they added picks for next year's draft in doing so. What really kicked this all off here was they had 105. I mentioned the Saints trading a ton of picks to get up for Troutman. 
They had 105. They traded to the Saints, and they got 130, 169, 203, and 244 out of it. Then, later on in the draft, we see the Vikings and Rick Spielman go in there, and they take 155, which, as I just mentioned, was Travis Gibson, and they turn that into a fourth next year. Then, we see them come back with uh, with pick 201. They turn 201 and 209 with the Ravens into 225 and a fifth next year. Now, that took away the ability for them to add a really strong value in James Prochi, but again, they added picks for next year. So, overall, the uh, Vikings were able to add picks in next year's draft in the fourth round and in the fifth round, and were able to come out of this draft having made 15 picks. So they have extra picks next year and had a plethora of picks this year. Specifically, we talk about trade downs that really helped them here. I talked about the Brandon Ayuk trade up earlier for San Francisco. The Vikings stayed at 22 and picked Jefferson, traded down to 31 and got Jeff Gladney, as I addressed in the last draft, but they added, or in the last podcast episode, but in this draft with that trade, they added not just 31, but 117 and 176. So the Vikings did a great job amassing a ton of quantity of draft capital to allow them to move all around the board get good prospects now, and add draft capital for next year. We've been over Jefferson and Gladney in the last episode. Ezra Cleveland at 58. This team had a needed offensive line. Ezra Cleveland, upside guy in the second tier of offensive tackles. I and many thought he was a first-round guy or was going to be a first-round guy. Great value getting him in there at 58. 89, Cameron Dantzler. Dantzler's been a guy who I've been interested in this prospect or in this draft process all along. I thought he was kind of in that tier once you got past the tiers where you had Okuda and Henderson, and then you had Gladney and Jalen Johnson and Noah Benogany, and then there was the tier with AJ Terrell and Christian Fulton um, and um, Trayvon Diggs. Then you got to the next tier where it was Damon Arnett, Cameron Dantzler, and Bryce Hall for me. And I think Dantzler could have been in that kind of same vein with Damon Arnett, I thought he was a solid guy for a mid-second or late-second round pick. And they got him in the third round at 89. I know he didn't have, you know, he had a lot of body fat at the combine, didn't run a great 40, but I think at 89, a premium position, I thought there was a lot of value there. Uh, DJ Wanham in the fourth round off the edge, I thought that was a really strong pick. Guy who can be effective getting after the quarterback on either side of the defensive line. James Lynch from Baylor. Uh, James Lynch was an absolute beast at Baylor last year, amassing a ton of sacks. And then you look at the rest of this draft, Troy Dye was a great value in the fourth round, the linebacker from Oregon. I liked Harrison Hand as an addition at corner from Temple, getting more young corners into that cornerback room. Shout out to the 215. Uh, KJ Osborne at 176 was a pick that I was kind of questioning. I, I didn't really get that pick there. But then they added Josh Metalis from Michigan in the sixth, Kenny Willekes, Nate Stanley, Brian Cole, and Kyle Hinton in the seventh round. But just looking at this draft, adding positions or adding prospects at positions of major need in Justin Jefferson, in Jeff Gladney, doubling up and adding Cameron Dantzler, adding at a position of, a, of need in Ezra Cleveland at tackle, attacking a premium position like Edge with DJ Wanham and James Lynch, getting good value in Troy Dye in the fourth round adding Harrison Hand at corner to get another corner into that room in the fifth. 
high-quality prospects, maneuvered all around the board, added quantity of picks, added picks for next year, and attacked needs. They did everything you'd want to do in a draft. A solid A grade for the Minnesota Vikings. Great work here by Rick Spielman and that front office. And then we go to the last team in the league. And usually they say to save the best for last in this circumstance, but I think the Green Bay Packers had the worst draft in the league, and I'm going to give them a solid D. We went over the Jordan Love trade-up in the last podcast, but the fact of the matter is this. This team made it to the conference championship game in the NFC. They have a dire need to add offensive weapons, whether that was tight end or wide receiver. This draft was a historically talented wide receiver draft. They did not draft a single wide receiver. They drafted one tight end in the third round. They have Aaron Jones, they have Jamal Williams, and they drafted a running back in the second round. They drafted multiple offensive linemen in the sixth. They drafted a safety. They drafted an edge on day three. They drafted a linebacker on day three. No wide receivers. They're, they, the thing is with the quarterback stuff with Jordan Love, when they drafted Aaron Rodgers all those years ago, he was a high-quality, top-of-the-draft prospect who fell very, very low. That's not what happened with Jordan Love. They traded up to get a questionable prospect in Jordan Love when Aaron Rodgers has years left in his career. You look at the New Orleans Saints. Every year, they try to maximize what's left of Drew Brees to win a Super Bowl. The Green Bay Packers played the comp pick game in free agency. Didn't add Austin Hooper. They drafted A.J. Dillon because Aaron Jones is going to become a free agent soon. They drafted, they traded up to draft Jordan Love as the successor to Aaron Rodgers. You look at the Saints. They go all in on the present to maximize what's left of their quarterback. Aaron Rodgers has multiple seasons left. Drew Brees probably has one. And the Green Bay Packers look towards the future. They did not make the effort to maximize their chances of succeeding and winning in the present with Aaron Rodgers. They desperately needed wide receiver help. And how can you come out of this draft where there's a ton of wide receiver talent, not even one addition at the position? I don't get it. I really don't get it. And it's not as if they got a ton of value in that's the reason why they didn't go wide receiver. It just felt like they were intentionally ignoring the position. Now, I'm sure obviously that wasn't the case, but that's just almost what it felt like. It was just very strange to see them not address the position at all. And to see them address quarterback and running back where they did not eat, did not need help in the short term with their first two picks, especially at running back, you can get sufficient production at running back with guys signed as free agents, as bargains, with late round picks. You had two guys who can contribute right now and even still you use a resource like a second round pick on a running back. You want examples of that running backs can contribute and be solid and give you solid production and sufficient production without using premium resources on them. Look no further than Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. So they didn't make their team better for this coming season. They look towards the future instead of the present. They're not maximizing their present with Aaron Rodgers. So I'm giving them a D. I don't understand what their strategy was with this draft, and I am not excited of the prospect of banking the future of my franchise on Jordan Love. And with that, 
That will be all for all 32 NFL Draft team grades this episode here of After the Final Whistle. Again, I'm your host, Brad Clear. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at BradClear underscore Clear spelled K-L-I-E-R. Shout out to you, the listener. Shout out to the NFL Draft. Shout out to the Dallas Cowboys, the Denver Broncos, Miami Dolphins, the Arizona Cardinals, the Cleveland Browns, the New York Jets, and all the other teams who had really, really strong drafts. And as always, goodbye and good night.